0: All right, basketball fans, um, continuing our celebration of Black History Month in basketball and sport, we are highlighting some women, African-American women, who are coaching men's basketball. And right now, we are having a repeat guest on our show. Um, she was hired by the Charlotte Hornets G League team, the Greensboro Swarm, as an assistant coach. She becomes the first, or she became the first female coach in Hornets and Swarm history uh, before that she was a North Carolina State standout and was the 11th overall selection in the 1999 WNBA draft. She played 12 seasons in the WNBA, was an all-star in the league. Um, please join me in welcoming back to the show Chastity Melvin. Welcome, Chastity.
1: Thanks, China. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Let's chat it
0: up. Uh, let's chat it up. You've been busy, 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 busy. Let's start with all-star because... I kind of feel like with, it, it was my first NBA All-Star, which I had a blast. Um, but I kind of feel like you were the mayor of Charlotte. Like you, every time I turned around and looked at the schedule, your name was somewhere speaking, you were on a panel, you were doing all kinds of stuff. Keep in mind, you're still in your season, right? You had just had your last game, which you and I talked and you had, you, you were doing the scout, I think, for that game. Um, yeah. so there was a lot going on, but how was NBA All-Star on your end and, and in particular, what did you feel around the synergy and energy of women whether it's WNBA or college but like what did you feel um for women that are involved in in basketball during that weekend
1: Well the actually the All-Star weekend was great for me. It was nice to be in North Carolina at an NBA All-Star game and actually this year was my first time attending an actual NBA All-Star game so that was a first for me and um it was great for my family and I and I, there was a nice honor by the National Basketball Wilds Association. They gave, they honored me as one um, for Black History Month as well. And I was going to get to that. You, now yeah, you hosting, uh,
0: You do Now you doing my oh, job. No, okay, so we'll wait. <laughs> no, got, but congratulations on that. On that. Right. No, <laughs> we'll talk
1: about that later, but, uh, Let me answer your question. The, question has, <laughs> no, you're fine. the energy around women, um, just the women's empowerment, was just really inspiring. I mean, I think it's the most women that I've, you know, Or maybe you just kind of noticed it because it felt like women were really engaging with each other and just trying to find out more about, um, trying to find out more about getting tips on this road to success and just asking a lot of information and really supporting not just myself, but other WNBA players that were at events. There were a lot of women in attendance. And um, so that speaks volumes. And that's just, you know, I guess it goes with the current time in the States now and just uh, with the media giving so much more attention to what women are doing in sports, not only in sports but also in business, and just trying to encourage women to you know keep striving and, and get these positions in male-dominated society, so that was great.
0: Yeah, I mean, I uh, I'm I'm right there with you, and I asked that question because again, it was my first one, but there were so many first events it seemed like for women. Like I hosted a Women in, in Basketball Operations Forum for the NBA which was put on by a, an awesome committee of women that looked at hey where are the opportunities in coaching and you know GM positions and obviously Kelly Crosskoff was there and so many other women who um, you know are working on the operations side of of the NBA but it just seemed like every time I turned around there was like some kind of women's event I was like this is great because people think of NBA as oh it's men's basketball but because we're a women's basketball podcast uh, <laughs> we definitely wanted to touch on that but um I'm going to come back to what you spoke on at the, at the wives association event. But first and foremost, tell us how you fell into this coaching opportunity. Um, I didn't even realize until you were named assistant coach for the swarm that you were trying to coach. I think I told you this like a while back, but you know, we just talked to Anisha Curry and she was, you know, just, spitting facts on how hard that journey can be when you come from being a high profile player to trying to find that next step in life. So how did you end up um, eventually with this Swarm?
1: Well, you know, like my first love is obviously, you know, doing podcasts and television I analyst work for commentating games. That's always been my first passion, but that was just as hard to get in for me as well as coaching after I retire. Um, so, it's a big hobby of mine. I do the podcast, but I got in I, – I, I was invited to apply for the NBA Assistant Coaches Program, and when I had that opportunity, and I basically did it for like four to six months, when I first had the opportunity to coach the guys, I just felt different. It was very similar to when I first had my, play my first basketball game at 11 years old. It's just something in me was sparked. I don't know if it was my competitive drive or what it was, but I just – Felt this spark, and I was like, wow, like, I want to, like, this feels good. This is, feels where I belong. So um, I kind of just finished the program, and um, I was able to coach at the NBA Draft Combine, the Portsmouth Invitational. So I was in a lot, I was put in a lot of opportunities where I was coaching an only female with a lot of the former NBA players. So that gave me a great opportunity, and that also gave me the confidence, you know, everyone talks about see it, believe it, achieve it. And that gave me an opportunity to actually see it and really believe in myself. And um, after that, it was just like, that was a goal. Like, oh, okay. Maybe this is why I haven't gotten the job coaching in college. Cause I have been applying just like Anisha for jobs in colleges and talking to them. And a lot of people didn't know that I actually worked for the K i cancer fund nonprofit at the time. People were like, why aren't you coaching? You know, that that was a lot of pressure on me, especially back in North Carolina. People kept asking that question And I'm not just one to talk about or give excuses or be like why or why not or tell my story. You know, I just said this is where I am right now. But it was just because I was getting old. And, you know, life doesn't – people feel like once you play a professional sport, you're good for the rest of your life. Like everybody's not LeBron James. Everybody's not close to being a billionaire. Like life doesn't stop. Bills don't stop. You got to work, you know, at the end of the day, especially for female athletes. So – my mom told me I had to get a job, and that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right. Mama's yeah, like, "Hold well, so, up!" But then I, yeah. So then, um, the program is great because they place two former players. Um, they coincide with the G League. They place two former players on the team, but it's up to the team to hire players. So I was in a pool of about five or six former NBA guys that interviewed for the Greensboro Swarm job. So mm. I like to say I knocked out my interview, and that's why Coach Joe Wolf hired me. And, oh, that's right. Here I am.
0: That is <laughs> awesome. I, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, and I think one thing I'm passionate about is that we've got to find a pipeline for. And I know, like the Women's Sports Foundation, starting the the this grant in the name of Tar Vanderveer, which is going to help women in in the coaching pipeline. But there's got to be something for former professional. Women's players that want to coach, you know, former WNBA players or, you know, whatever the, they narrow that group to be, but it, it should not be as hard as it is, in my opinion, for former WNBA players to coach in college. Um, it just shouldn't, um, especially on the women's side. And I understand that the criteria is usually, oh, you got to have this many years of coaching. You got to, but, but basketball should count as experience. And not to say that you don't yeah. have to learn compliance and all the other things that come along with it. Like, there's a lot more to it, the recruiting and all of that. Yeah, but still, like, your playing should count for something. And and I think we have to reward the women that have carried the game on the professional side with having a place for them and having a pipeline for them to give back to the game. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see people like Tina Thompson getting opportunities. Like, I mean, they're Charlotte Smith, you know, Don Staley. Like I mean, they're they're some of our best coaches in the game. And so, um, you know, that that's something that I'm glad you spoke on and that Nisha spoke on so hopefully we can start to move the needle. So how has it been? How how have you been received coaching men's professional basketball?
1: Well first I wanna start this off by saying that um I love this this era and this, you know, and movement and women trying to you know, secure more positions in male-dominated societies. And I just want to say, like, every woman is not made or built to have a position coaching men or have a position, you know, in business in a male-dominated area. Like, it's not for everyone. I just want to go ahead and say that for people Mm -hmm. out there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Well, why do you say that? Why is it not for everyone?
1: I just, and and I'll say this, too. It's not, it's the same for, like, men it's not all men can't coach women like mm-hmm. it's just like being being around women and being in like a a, a female dominated arena it's not it, it won't coincide with some men
0: because you're and saying that, that there's a, a difference
1: because there is a difference okay. there's a difference and um, some men can't handle it and I feel like some men can't handle it being around a lot of women and coaching in that environment I don't know on the business side too but I just say like Just because we're making these strides, I don't want women to think, like, it's just so easy. Like, there are some things that you will have to sacrifice and some things that you will have to kind of, you know, look over Mm -hmm. to to stay in male-dominated arenas. And most of it is just, like, politeness and things like, like, guys are guys. Like, you're working with men, you're coaching men, they're guys, you know, at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. And I don't try to change, guys, but at the same time, some women would be like, oh, that was so gross what he just did. And I have to see what's so gross about 25 times a day. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, like, some women wouldn't like that, you know? And right. that's why I say that, you know? Some women be like, oh, no, I cannot deal with this every day, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's why I, I say that. But, like, the most challenging thing for me is just when to use my voice and when not to use my voice. I think that's been the most challenging Uh, with the coaching staff and just being with the men. And it's easy for people to say, oh, you should just be dominant, you should be like the guys, but at the same time, in basketball, and I treat this like when I play professional with the women, I think it's the same thing. There's a certain sense of, like, you know, there's the guys and there's the team and there's, you know, their space in the locker room and their space when they're doing things on the court. And there are just, like, certain boundaries. And I don't say it is just because they're men. I also felt that way when I played as a professional. But then there's a little difference when I'm coaching men and I'm, on the, I'm the only female. There are some boundaries that I feel like, okay, let me just give them that space right there because they're. it's kind of like the boys are just being boys. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I, I've never had any problems with being disrespected or um, – Um, anything with like you know sexual connotations or anything like vulgar or anything like that from my group Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just saying in general just boys being boys you know so I think that you know that's challenging just when to you know be a part of the group not be a part of the group when to use my voice when not to use my voice
0: yeah and I like what you said about um when you were in Charlotte you just talked about how you feel like your voice is received differently Talk a little yeah. bit about that, like how that has been, being a woman in that situation, you've seen as as an advantage at some times.
1: Well, I just think it's an advantage mainly. And I mean, it's unfortunate to say, but we're talking about Black History Month and we're just talking about how far black uh, Americans have have come. But um, also uh, black Americans, as far as the family goes, has a lot of more strides to go. Like women are basically raising their kids by their, there are a lot of single African-American women raising young boys. And so, mm-hmm these guys aren't familiar with hearing a constant man's voice in their life. And obviously that is not being stereotypical, and I don't have statistics to prove it, but you can just kind of look down the line. I mean, like, was he raised with his father, or was he raised with his mother by himself? And so they're used to hearing their mother's voice, and that's what I sound like to most of the African-American guys I'm coaching. Like, yeah, they probably don't like what I say, but at the same time it's a voice that is very familiar to them, especially when it's like, especially when it involves criticism. And that's just how I feel. I haven't done statistics on it. It's just.
0: But that's what we want. We want you
1: to speak from your experience, Chastity. Yeah, from my experience. Exactly. But I, but but also trying to, (laughs) I equate that as well with women's basketball players have Mm -hmm. a hard time hearing from African-American women sometimes when it involves criticism, but an African-American male or even a white, a Caucasian male can say something and they'll be more receptive to it because, they're being raised by single moms and they don't have that. They don't have the father's voice. So women are more like, I'm tired of hearing my mom's voice, but they can't handle a male's voice if that makes sense. So I think it's, I think for me, I believe it works both ways. Yeah.
0: That's a very interesting concept. And I've heard a lot of different things about that. And it makes sense because you know how you grow up, your experiences like that all impacts who you are. You know, how you perceive yeah. things, how you grow, how you're tested, um, you know, just how you move and mature through life. So, and I'm a sociology yeah. major, so you definitely don't have to convince me that, you know, the things <laughs> that happen throughout your youth could absolutely have an impact on, on how you see things as an adult. Um, I wanted to go back to, um, the, the Black History Month thing. And just how important it is to have African American women involved on the coaching side. Um, what, in your opinion, needs to be done to to so that we can have more voices like a Vivian Stringer, or you know, more Black women coaching women? I mean, at the end of the day, and I think at the end, right now, the WNBA is at least seventy five percent African American women or women of color and college basketball is very high numbers, even though I don't have those, but we don't see the women coaching. What has to happen for for this to change?
1: I mean, it's the same thing that has to happen for women um, to coach in male-dominated professional sports, and I'm not just talking about basketball, but females coaching in general, um, getting opportunities with male-dominated sports. There has to be a pipeline, and what I've learned so far Um, being in coaching and coaching the men and what I've learned and just different stories from not just um, Coach Curry's, but a lot of stories is people hire people that they have relationships with. Mm -hmm. And I believe, and this is just me, I feel like African-American women aren't in those spaces and don't have those relationships with athletic directors. Athletic directors are going to reach out to people they know. And I'm not, I don't necessarily like a lot. Some people may feel like it's racism at some point or some people may just feel whatever their reasons are but across the board even working in a nonprofit, I was able to get my job because of someone I knew and I had a relationship with so um, bottom line you know you have African American women have to attend these coaches conferences develop more relationships and try to I mean it's on us and I know African American women some will say dang we have to just always take the extra steps and work extra hard. And speaking of Black History Month, I mean, even President Obama said it. Yeah, we made strides, but we still have a long, long way to go. And I think the perception once you have social media and Twitter that, oh, everybody's doing okay, you don't have to work as hard anymore. No, it it really hasn't changed. You still have to do a little bit extra, a little bit more. But I think it's just relationships. And I think it's ADs and head coaches being comfortable uh, about developing just those relationships across the board. Uh, same with, like, uh, you know, the NBA, like, how you saw at NBA All-Star, having those forums and having those open um, panels where people can, women can actually network with GMs and head coaches and have, form a conversation because at the end of the day in coaching, to get a head coaching job or get an assistant coaching job, you want to hire people that you trust and hire people that you have a relationship with and that understand what you're all about. And so I think that's the, that's the big deal when a lot of Uh, like you said, the majority aren't African-Americans coaching women's basketball or men's basketball in general. Um, It's because a lot of coaches of ADs are hiring people that they know and that they have relationships with. And (laughs) you can go down the line. I mean, people used to make fun of me growing up all the time and thank God for my parents, but as diverse and, you know, as they can make me be, they made me, you know, spend time with the other races and not like segregate myself. And yeah. so at the same time, I learned how to develop relationships, especially at NC State, coming into a, a majority um, white university. You know, I had to learn how to, you know, develop relationships with them. And so I think that's that's where it's, that's where it starts. Yeah, absolutely.
0: My last piece for you, just because I I know that there will be young women listening to this podcast that want to be in your space if they want to coach men, if they've had that same epiphany that you've had um, just any one piece of advice. And I know that there was something that your dad told you, I want to go back to the national basketball wives association um, in their women's empowerment summit, where you were honored um, as a woman who is evolving in business. You along with Deborah Lee, Alicia Butterfield Jones, um, Courtney, I'm not going to mess up your last name, but I happen to be there and you were so brilliant in your acceptance speech, but you talked about some advice that your dad had given you. What would you tell a a young woman, and I'm not trying to make you say what your dad told you, but what (laughs) would you tell a young woman that wants to be in your your shoes one day?
1: Uh, First, I would just tell any young woman that you have to get up every morning. And this is basically kind of what I said. A lot of people ask me about it. um, It's just you have to erase self-doubt. And I think that's the biggest challenge in working in a male-dominated field is erasing self-doubt every day just because of the stereotypes that the world in general has put on women subconsciously. It's going to come every day. And it's something that males don't have to ever deal with because subconsciously they're like they rule the world. I mean, they're they're already in it. They've been in it for a long time. Um, And I I was just nervous when we made it to the Final Four in 1998 and my dad could sense my nervousness and this was uh, uh, probably the most people I've ever... Obviously, it was the most people I've ever played in front of. And my dad came up to me and he was like... um, If not you, then who? And if not now, then when? And it just relaxed me, and it just made me really realize, like, yeah, like. And so I I remember my dad's words since that day, as far as when I made graduated from NC State and made it pro, and just different challenges. Even working at a nonprofit, when I really had to learn, I had a learning curve. You know, his first job after playing pro. Every morning I would get up and I would ask myself the same question. I was like, what? if not choosing who, if not now, then when? And I would always look in the mirror and answer the question. The time is now and the who is me. And that's what I tell myself every day, every other day when I'm feeling self doubt, and that's what I that's how I answer it. So I'd encourage young girls, they can use that. Anyone can use it. Um it's not a saying my dad came up with, I'm sure it's you know, No, they need somewhere. to quote
0: they need to quote Chastity Melvin's <laughs> dad. Yeah. I, know you yeah. I saw hey, Gail I saw Gail trying to get your
1: quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the quote, but that, that was my dad's quote Jimmy Melvin and he said Chassie's like if not choosing who if not now then when and then I changed the quote to say the time is now and the who is me so that Ooh. I you know I added that part and well, that's what is, every woman should tell themselves <laughs> the
0: time is now Chassie we appreciate your time and we appreciate everything you're doing blazing the trail congratulations now we're, 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 are y'all in first place since you're coaching y'all should be oh. in first place
1: you know, China. I want to make the playoffs because I mean, for my head coach, just and my coaching staff, who has helped me tremendously. They've been such. So, I've been a part of a great staff, and I feel feel so blessed with that. So I hope we can make the playoffs. But it's going to get tricky here at the end. We need a couple of people to lose, and we need to win. So we'll see. It'll go down to the wire to the very last game. So
0: get it done.
1: Get it done, Chastity. <laughs>
0: well, thank you for your thank time and you. Happy Black History Month to you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me.